0: This podcast is produced by Clarence Valley Community Church. If you benefit from our ministry and you would like to support us, details can be found at our website, cvcc.com.au. There you can also find out more details about our church. Today I'll be preaching from Ephesians chapter 5 from verse 7 to verse 20. Um, and there's a there's a really good sermon here. I don't know whether I'm going to be able to bring it, but This is incredible, the words that the Lord has for us today. Do you mind if we just pray again as we prepare our hearts? Father, we thank you that by your spirit you have already presenced yourself here. Lord, I ask for your wisdom to be able to offer and bring to your people your word, Lord, to illuminate it for each of us that we may be edified, that we may struggle on, Lord, but do it in joy and thankfulness, knowing, Lord, that there is a great inheritance ahead for us, and that you, Lord, by your own very hand, are drawing us and guiding us, Lord, to your kingdom. And so we thank you for that, God. We rely on you completely and wholly. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so if you missed the last uh, couple of weeks, um, Just to bring us up to speed, Paul has been building up for a long, long time that you are loved by God, that you are God's child. And because of that fact, this is where we are now in Ephesians 5, he's saying, because of in light of everything that God has done for you, his affection towards you, let us respond in like manner. Let us truly be children of our Father. And the example I gave last week was when you copyright something, it comes with stipulations for the use of that product. And God has put his seal, the Holy Spirit, in us. And because of that, it matters what you do with your mind. It matters where your heart goes. It matters what your hands do. Pretty simple. We belong to God, and so now we must act in that like manner. Secondly, we learned a powerful weapon that can be used against our flesh. Last week I mentioned that idols aren't just things that are statues made of stone and wood, but we can actually make an idol of our own flesh. We can be so desirous and so consumed with our passions and our our desires that we run into places that we ought not go because we belong to God. And so our flesh that that our spirit indwells becomes the very thing that we worship and we give over to it time and time again. But the weapon that Paul gave us last week was thanksgiving to God. This will consume and hold at bay many of the passions that run wild in our flesh because your life is dedicated to thanksgiving, to the one who has given you eternal life, to the Christ who loved you and gave his life up for you. And that we cannot forget. We must live a life of thanksgiving. If there is no thanksgiving, then there is idolatry. If it's not praise to God, and then we're going to offer it up and give it out to something else. And so even in strife, even in suffering, we submit our flesh to God and say, Lord, what comes, comes. But as for me and you, I am thankful. I am chosen. I am a child of God and not, nothing in heaven and earth can separate me from this love. But what if sin is still, as it were, getting past the keeper? What happens if there's still areas of your life that you're working on? And in light of everything Paul has said, and this is where Paul's coming to in the text, after everything he said and every reason that you have to remain holy as your heavenly Father is holy, there's still stuff getting through. It's going to happen. We're going to falter in this walk with God. We're not going to do it exactly the same as Jesus, but we're going to be like Jesus. But what do we do when we fail? That's going to be Paul's point for us today. And I wanted to give a bit of an example of what Paul's going to do for us today. When I was driving the bus for a Christian school just down the road, there was one time I was coming down Tambourine Mountains, and the bus that I'm driving is older than me, and I'm old. This bus is older falling apart sometimes it's the rivets are just holding this thing together not bolts anymore and as I'm coming down the incline some of them were like 15 percent and I've got a choice here do I do I destroy the gearbox whilst trying to keep it in a low gear to go down slow and it's just over revving or do I keep slamming the brakes down but after a while in buses brakes don't work anymore once they get too hot And I'm coming up to a T intersection, and I've lost my brakes, all but gone. I'm smelling the transmission. It's about to blow. Either way, it's going to end up bad for me. And at this T intersection, I've got cars coming 80 kilometers an hour, and this is the one thing going through my mind. Thank God for the handbrake. (laughs) Thank God there is one more thing that's separate from everything else that I can just pull... And we will see what happens. I'm looking at some and some have had this experience. I and mean, this is what Paul's going to give us today, the handbrake. Everything's failing. Everything's falling apart. And I promise you this, the front wheels went over the stop the stop line, but it stopped and the cars are whooshing past. It wasn't an empty street. And side note, there were no children. It was just me on the bus. So it was a, it was a bad day. But those times as Christians that we have given Satan a foothold in our life. And this was Paul's warning two weeks ago. So we can give Satan a foothold of the sin in our life, or we can be grieving God's spirit in our life. And, and just remembering, what does the word grieving mean? I, can't, I couldn't get this out of my head as I was preparing that two weeks ago. The spirit of God is, as it were, weeping. Over the sin in your life, and so God feels a million miles away, weeping over your sin, and you 've just given satan's claws you 've given his, his his ability to take a place in your life. What do you do? What do you do, as it is written in James. Chapter 1, verse 14, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. That should terrify us as Christians. If you let this thing go on, if you let sin take residence and place in your life, James gives us the warning that it ultimately ends in death. Your flesh may be saying, I've got this under control. The world that is swimming in sin tells you not to worry about these small matters that they don't even blink at, but to God are big deals in our life. When that desire to hide from God and even hide from the people of God swells up due to the pregnancy of sin that is coming to maturation in your life. What do you do? Where is that handbrake? And that's what I believe Paul is going to give us today. If I was to give a title to this sermon today, it would be remaining in the light. Remaining in the light. How can we stop ungodly action or thought, the process of that getting bigger in our lives? And the reason I say it's getting bigger, the the intentions of your heart that are becoming evil and calloused or the actions that you're doing that don't line up with you as a Christian and what God has called you to. I say that can get bigger because for some of you here, it may already be growing it may already be a problem for you and it's not being dealt with and you keep telling yourself that you're going to get to it or that you'll be fine another week and i'll maybe this won't be here anymore and i want to tell you that if it doesn't get dealt with it grows it's already got a place it's already got a residence and it grows And so let's see what Paul has to say for us today. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 7 to 20. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. And everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. The first thing we must understand if sin has taken a hold in your life is this, and this is what he opens with have nothing to do with them. You are not that which you used to be or what the world prescribes to. You are a child of light. How much of our sin would be cleared up there if we just walked around with that every day? I do not belong to this world any longer. I am separated, set apart, holy, and sanctifying to God. That is my life's pursuit, my objective. And so I will live toward that standard. How much sin would just wash off your back like water on a duck? Gone. Dissipated. Before it even gets a chance to have a second in your heart, a second in your life, it is gone because you have proclaimed Who you are and whom you belong to. There's our first advice that Paul gives us. And this is more contingency before the ball of sin, as it were, makes it past. The keeper. Again, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Verse 8. And this is where so many Christians can also fall short. And if you're having a struggle and you understand what I'm talking about here, you potentially need prayer. You potentially need a lot of help. Because there are seasons in our lives as Christians, and none of us are exempt from this, but you sort of feel a bit counterfeit. Life has taken a little more than just a a, a, a nip at you or a grab at you, but it's seizing your throat. And you no longer feel the joy and countenance of being in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but then you're not really getting complete and utter joy from the world. You know, sin promises you, I'll give you satisfaction. I'll give you the desires of your heart. But for a Christian who feels the Holy Spirit, knows the presence of the age to come, we never really get given that opportunity again to completely and wholly swim in sin without any conscience. And so you're somewhere in the middle and you need help. It's a horrible place to be. Not enjoying God and not enjoying the world. What a wretched existence, because you were born again for one place, and that was to be in the loving presence of God. And it's begun now. Have fellowship with the Holy Spirit, but that is impossible when the spirit that you're meant to be having fellowship with is grieved. What hope do you have of enjoying that? You imagine coming home to your best friend, your mother, your father, your partner, and they're bawling their eyes out, and you're trying to enjoy time with them. Would we even contemplate that? What would be the first thing you would do if you see a loved one crying in the corner? You'd go over and you'd restore the relationship before you enjoy the relationship. Do we treat God any different? Do we think that God will just put up with these areas of our life that are not submitted to Jesus? Leave the Spirit of God weeping, grieved, and we'll just go on? I know many of us, maybe all of us, have done this at some time or another. We've gone ahead, thinking it'll be okay. But things are not right, and your relationship is not right. You need to restore that. You need to bring that back into balance and then enjoy the Lord. But instead of living this quasi life, one foot in heaven, one foot in the world, let us remember back to Ephesians 2, chapter, uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are God's Handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's your prerogative. And if that's not happening, there may be issues. There may be relational issues. And you need help. But as God's child, for those who are walking in love, who are enjoying fellowship with the Holy Spirit, verse 9 gives us the answer of what that looks like. I'm not here trying to guilt anybody. I'm not here trying to give anybody a hard time or say you're falling short or there's some issue with your walk with God. That's not what I'm here to do. Because th- I told you there's two, there's three options really. You'd be in the world, you'd be somewhere in the middle, you'd be walking faithfully with God. But if you're feeling conviction, Speak to your father, deal with it. But verse 9 gives us the answer of what it looks like when we're enjoying the countenance of our God, his face shining upon us. It says, All oh goodness righteousness and truth. These are the fruits that overflow abundantly. And we sort of get that feeling from the the fruits of the Spirit when the Spirit's indwelling and you're, you're conquering the flesh and you're walking in the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. And these are just some of that fruit that you're enjoying as a byproduct. We don't come to this and go, I've got to be better. I've got to be good. I've got to be good. I've got to be righteous. I've got to be righteous. I need to tell more truth. I need to have more truth. No, these overflow and spring from a heart. The well is fresh water, not salt. Do we have that? And if not, how can we have it back again? What can we do today? Now, verse 10 gives us a very clear example. If we understand our inheritance and our our i guess us being children of god if we understand that already then verse 10 gives us something else we can then do with that and that is to find out what pleases the lord this is probably that that second that second bullet that we have that we can shoot against sin we could be spending our time to know what pleases god not ourselves imagine that You spend your time looking for ways to please God, to live for God, to know what it is to be righteous, not take the word of God and say, these I subjectively know, or I have a knowledge of the things that the Bible is telling me, but I want to take hold of that and live this word of God out in my life. How am I going to do that? Well, I have to know the word of God. But I may also have to speak with my pastor or speak with my my partner or even speak with my parents. I need wisdom in these areas. And it can come from many different places. You know, I'll give you one example. Why I say go speak to your partner. How can I please God? Well, you could first start by maybe treating me this way. Maybe a bit harsh here in, in, in our relationship. This could apply to your children, this could apply to your parents, your grandparents. You see, it's going to take a lot of wisdom and forethought to go, right, what are the areas of my life? And I may not see them, I may have blind spots, but what are the areas of my life that I need to hand over to Christ that are unsubmitted, that are not right, that are not healthy? And so if we spend our time seeking his will rather than our own, we can see just obviously how that is going to impact the way in which we sin. We're going to be like one of those little meerkats, you know, those things in in Africa. You know, there's always people on watch for, for snakes and eagles and all the rest of it, right? And they are always watching. Always watching. Their life depends upon it. Now, why are they doing so well and spreading like rats or rabbits throughout the savannah there? It's because they're always on watch. Now, could you imagine us applying that to our own life with God? Always on watch, always keeping a lookout. And Christ has given us all ability to accomplish that. Imagine if I was to say to you, okay, your priority in life is to seek the will of God and God will make sure the food comes when it needs to come. You want clothing, you need anything to just get along, God will give you everything you need to accomplish his ends in your life. Some of the biggest words Christ said, these big promises, what did he say? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these Things will be given to you as well: clothes, food, provision, what we need. Imagine that God gives you a promise. He says, "Just seek me, seek my the establishment of my kingdom on this earth. Live for me, and I'll look after you." So that doesn't fit well with our mind. You know, we got like we got like a huge percentage of our mind is dedicated to self-preservation. But I want to promise you this, if we dedicated ourselves to self-preservation, the gospel never would have made it to Australia. The gospel never would have made it out of Jerusalem. Because if Christians were so concerned about the things of this world and the pleasure and, and protection and preservation of the flesh, you can do nothing. And I bet you the world would look back at us and say, do you really believe the things that you claim to believe? because it doesn't add up. You say that God is all sufficient. God is your joy. Yet you live as though you absolutely need the world. Absolutely. It's meant to be a self-abandonment. And we will draw others. We will draw others. Now James 1 verse 5 says if any of you lacks wisdom, You should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Is that second promise, isn't it? I will take care of your every need, and if you but ask me, I will give you the wisdom that you need. Not not the wisdom of this earth, maybe how to get prosperous and how to live an extra five years if you eat this certain food or something like that, but I'm going to give you wisdom, godly wisdom that is going to allow you to serve me in greater capacity. We do live by a, a standard of wisdom in this world. We're not flippant completely with things. We respect what God has given us, but are we asking God are we asking him, how am I going to be able to serve you and live for you and know your will? Let's ask him who has called us to this great task. You'll notice a seasoned Christian who practices this well, gives the reins to God, is obsessed with the Lord, and it's almost like God's taking the the, the wheel. You know what I mean? God's in control of my life and I'm trusting him thick or thin. It's about him and me and that's it. Everything else is secondary. You you see that coming from a from a seasoned Christian, one who understands what I'm talking about. But then you see the other sort and it's more or less you're taking God along for the journey of your life. He's in the passenger seat. You're you're directing, you're influencing, you're making the final decision, as it were. That's just a distinction I wanted to put out there for us today and assess our heart. Are we pleading for wisdom? Is our first priority His kingdom and righteousness, seeking His will over our will? Because you know what? He sought your good instead of His good when Christ hung on that cross. He was thinking of the betterment of you and your eternal soul, where you'll be in the future, rather than thinking of himself. And I praise God that Jesus isn't like a human, like one of us. He didn't even deserve to be there. But he went through that in order to give us a future. You know, when we give, um, I guess any of us give money to a charity or something, maybe it's a little less than local. Like, let's say you give money overseas you know, what are you hoping happens with that money that you give overseas? Now, I'm hoping there's not a pastor who's putting his feet up by the beach and sipping a, what are they, pina colada, and enjoying his life with the money that I'm thinking is going to, let's say, feed orphans or, or go and and go and feed the poor, build homes for people and, and definitely see the gospel proclaimed in whatever act of charity we're doing. Is it unfair to say that maybe Christ was having that same thought when he was dying on the cross or when he was living his life for you? Was, was he thinking, I, I, I want to I go through all of this to just to give them an easy life, to, to allow them to just enjoy their time, put their feet up, relax, take it easy? Or did he actually do it because he's like, I, I want to give them something to live for. I want, I want to give this, my life, for a better future, not just for them, but for others as well. You imagine, the money goes from you to a pastor, to a poor orphan. Jesus' life is given for you, and you give up your life then for others, seeking their good. Because if you want to seek the Lord's will, you first you, you seek the betterment of others as well. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so this will consume a large portion of your time. And here's the key, the big one, the breaking the cycle of sin that I was telling you about. You may have heard all of this and you're like, yeah, Dan, I'm in. I am ready to serve with a whole heart. I want to know the will of God and I want to go for it. But I still got these issues in my life. I still got this sin. Satan still has a foothold, and I've grieved the Holy Spirit. Let's come into the answer to that. It's what we're here for. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Dan, how does that help me? I'll explain. When he is mentioning, it is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret, Most people don't put their shame out on display. Some do, and the society is going that way. Shame is just out on display. But most people are a lot worse behind closed doors than they are in the general populace. Now, I believe that Paul here is referencing those false teachers that we were talking about last week who would look to, and they've done this for thousands of years, and even throughout the history of Israel, come into the church, come into the community of God, and they tell you, God doesn't take sin that seriously. Relax, take it easy. God, yes, He's holy, but He's got lots of grace and mercy there for you, so you can just live the way you like. Paul says it just... It's like they use grace, the death of Jesus and his resurrection. They use that as a license to sin rather than a call to holiness. And so I believe that he is mentioning those and he's saying, stay away from them. And it's a lot worse behind closed doors than whatever you think you're seeing here on the outer of these people who would look to lead you astray. But verse 13 gives us the answer. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. What do you need to do with your sin? How do you need to conquer it? Well, the same way you came into the faith. How did you you come to Jesus? Well, I I repented of my sin and, and I believed. You see, where Satan gets that foothold, Where he gets his talons into your life is when you stay quiet, when you allow things to fester until they get out of control, and now you're so ashamed that you can't bring it to anybody. But remember I said at the start, it only gets bigger. If you're failing to deal with it now, you're not going to have some miraculous thing happen tomorrow if you think you're going to avoid bringing it out into the light. Now, what does that mean? Well, it may mean just bringing it generally to God, surrendering it to God, but you might not be in a position where you can go on your knees and cry, beg, and plead that God forgive you for that sin. Has anybody had that before? You've got some real issues in your life and you're like, God, do you have this one? You know what I mean? Like, I'm just giving an over-exaggerated example here, but like, God, you're going to be right with this, hey, like, you're going to forgive me anyway at the end of the day, so we'll be right. Like, your repentance isn't godly. It's not a godly repentance that leads to eternal life, but it's rather earthly. And so the cycle of sin continues and gets worse and grows bigger and and like a wounded animal. This is a Christian in this state, like a wounded animal you're limping along. But you see other Christians or you go to your workplace and you puff your chest out (laughs) and you look like everything's okay, but it's not. And so bring it out into the light. And if bringing it to God is not working for you, if you're still struggling a year, a month, a week later, bring it to others for prayer. This is jarring to people in the West. We are so individualistic and we are so scared that our hidden sins and our private life will be exposed to somebody that we'd rather just try and cop it or deal with it, or hope it gets better. How's that working for you if you're struggling in this area? Here's some of the most shameful moments of my life, is going to my wife and saying that I've I've stuffed up. I've made a mistake. You know, the first thing you fight there is pride. Before I even get to the sin in my own heart, I need to fight another sin that's crept in because of what I've done. That's pride. I thank God that I am done with this soon. Like Paul, I sometimes feel like I would rather be with Jesus, but the only reason I'm here right now living and breathing is because of your faith. I'm not saying that just for me as a pastor. I'm saying that's how we should all feel. I'd rather be with Jesus. I don't want to fight this sin anymore. I'm sick of Satan and his devices. I'm sick of the weakness of my own flesh. I just want to be with the Lord. I don't want to fight anymore. But what does Paul say? Because but because of you, I'm going to stick around. I've got something to live for, and it's your faith. Yet all too often, we can fall into the trap of it's, yeah, their faith, but also I've got to to get the desires that I need to keep me propped up and functioning well. It's where Christ was selfless. We can be quite selfish. And so we're fighting sin on many levels to repent out in the open to other people. We need to sort of, I guess, trust our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. Go to someone you know and love. And just open up and just say, this is the situation. But you might think to yourself, but it's so bad. I'm so far gone that if you were to find this out, you would reject me. And if any Christian, this just happened the other day somewhere else. If any Christian treats you like Satan would treat you when you bring sin to them, Man, there's some issues in that person. Like, what I'm talking about is this. You come to a beloved brother or sister in Christ and you say, look, I've been trying to give this over to God. It's not working. I need your prayer and I need you to keep me accountable. And then they say, yeah, that's your problem. I don't struggle with that. Yuck. What? You know, this is the sort of reaction we expect from some people. That's really undermining the household of faith when we do that. But it does happen. How does Satan treat you when you've sinned? He doesn't, God doesn't love you. You're despicable and unclean. You know, the very reason we all get baptized is an appeal for a clear conscience before God. Like, I have a clear conscience because my life is in Christ, right? And so when you have that depth of love and acceptance, you can come to God with anything. But if we are meant to be reflections of God's own heart, to his people. Are we going to disdain those who come to us and open up? Or are we going to treat them like God would treat them and say, you need help, brother or sister. I'm going to pray for you. Yeah, I'm not going to gossip and slander and run this around town. I'm going to treat you with respect and love. The same respect and love that God would give you. And anything less than that would be what sa- has, how Satan would treat you with your sin expose it, shame you, make you feel like you can't come into the presence of God. It's a trick. And so we can see why we should have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but illuminate them. And so before he was talking about the false teachers, we could even put this onto people who really are, are sinning to us, and we can expose it as well, lovingly, gently, without gossip, without slander, without a snicker, without a without a, a, a harsh look. We can say, brother, you've offended me. Jesus said, I'm to bring my grievance to you and I'm to forgive you. And I just want to let you know, even before you said, sorry, I forgive you and I love you. It's just this has happened. I'm hurt. Phew. Imagine how many churches would still be together if we had that heart, instead of splitting up all the time. Instead of having factions and, and, and breakups, even here in this house, you know, it's just like, oh, I've been hurt. I'm just going to open up and let you know about that. I'm struggling. I'm struggling. But I love you and I forgive you. And this is where it says in verse 14, Awake, awake up sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And that is what you need when you're in the throes of sin. You need the light of Christ. You need to expose it, bring it forth that it can be dealt with. God wouldn't say confess your sins to one another if it was something that we didn't have to do. It would be a waste of words. There's so many important things we need from Scripture. Why would God have that there for us? And so if you're struggling and it's not working out, you've been trying to give it to God for some time, please, please trust your brothers and your sisters. Expose it, repent of it, live openly before God. Therefore, verse 15, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Can we see he's mentioned this twice now, knowing what the Lord's will is? Making every opportunity because the days are evil. What does that say to you? It says that you're either seeking God's will or the days are evil. What is that? What what, what distinction could we draw there? Well, you're either doing one or you're being given over to the other. One or the other. You're consumed like a meerkat looking out for an eagle. You're consumed with the things of God. You're watching out how you can please him and how you can beware. How sensitive would your conscience be if your primary task when you get up in the morning is, how am I going to live this day for God? How sensitive would you be when sin tries to take a hold in your life? Pride begins to swell up. Before the wheels even begin to wobble, you've you've brought it back in with a sensitive conscience. God will bring the healing. God will bring about the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome. And so verse 18, Do not get drunk with wine which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's nice. I'd prefer that. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. Wine being used as a debaucherous nightlife, the things that they do in secret type language. Instead of that, dear believer, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't seek the things of this world. And we understand strong drink or wine there has that inebriating effect on the mind. It it clouds our judgment. Don't do that rather be satisfied in the Holy Spirit, rather seek Him, be filled with Him. And when it says to be filled by the Spirit, it doesn't mean it's a one-time thing either. Some people can mix this up. The filled here is a present imperative, meaning it's something that is constant and happening throughout your life throughout your day, throughout this hour, throughout this very minute and second, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And lastly, verse 18 to 20, I was so confused by this. It just goes into talk about singing. I was so confused. And then I got it. What happens when we're living in the presence of God? We're enjoying His countenance. We're enjoying the relationship we have with Him. Did you know there was was one primary thing you were created for? And that is to worship God. I was saying this morning at our South Grafton church, I was saying a dog cannot, though it's man's best friend, it cannot worship God and enjoy Him forever the same way you can. You are specifically designed to have a relationship with God like no other creature on this planet, no matter how brilliant the sun is, no matter how wonderful the galaxies are how huge an elephant is, or microscopic a germ is, none of them were created. No matter how glorious, how tiny, none of them were created to enjoy God the way that you were created to enjoy God. That's what should sadden us when we see people outside of Christ. But when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, when you are walking in His presence and you have your mind set upon what pleases Him instead of yourself, what comes up from the heart? praise and worship. What happens when you meet another believer who's on fire and yearning for the presence of God in their own life? you begin. to do singing together. You're worshiping together. I've been on job sites with other Christians. It's amazing when you put the Christian music on. You know what I mean? This is, a, this is what happens to the heart, like a butterfly fluttering. We're going up into the clouds. It's amazing. And then he ends it in verse 20, and he gives the same advice he gave last, last week. Always giving thanks. Be mindful of the repetitive nature of some of the stuff here that Paul's saying. It's so important. Knowing the will of God, being thankful, bringing things out into the light, asking for forgiveness, pouring yourself out for others. All these things are so important to us. And if we do them, we will only go from strength to strength. But if we neglect them, we are going to find it a very tricky journey. Let's pray. Dear Father, I thank you, Lord, that these are not things that we cannot understand. It is so simple. Lord, I pray that if there are areas of our lives that are, that are really sitting in darkness at the moment, that we've, we've allowed residence for things in our heart and our minds that should not be. Lord, I pray that you give us the power to give them over to you now That, Lord, our repentance will not just be one that will cause us to go back to them, but, Lord, it will be a godly grief. Father, I pray this because I need us. I desire us to be a healthy people. Lord, we know that the the love that you have for us, Lord, there is no measure. And that, Lord, if we continually seek your face and your will for our lives, give you the steering wheel instead of being self-seeking, Father, we will experience that joy that surpasses understanding that Christ promised us when he was on this earth. You came to bring us joy, Jesus. It's there for us for the taking. And so, Lord, may we go about our week and meditate upon these things and live in the newness of life that was purchased by Jesus. In his name, amen.